Welcome to My Two Cents with Keith Beggs from Steadfast Wealth Strategies. In this podcast, we show high-level executives and business owners why comprehensive financial planning and executive bonus structures don't have to be too good to be true. Keith draws on his experience in realistic financial planning, and expert guests share his two cents about academically-based financial planning that you have to hear to believe. Now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. Keith Beggs here, the founder and CEO of Steadfast Wealth Strategies and the host of the My Two Cents podcast. Uh, Today, uh, we have Adam Feinberg on, Senior Vice President over at USI Employee Benefits, continuing our business owners. Last time we were on, we had Doug Thorpe, Executive Business Coach, talking about planning out your business, how to get outside of the business, work on the business, not in it. And then today we have Adam talking about what are some of the big hurdles employers are facing when it comes to employee benefits, primarily healthcare. What are some things they can do to drive costs down? And then what are there some options or some unconventional ideas that they could have uh, to offer a better benefits package to their employees so that they can keep the top employees that they want, not have a huge turnover and really grow their business and focus on other things. So uh, with that being said, we're excited to have Adam on. Let's jump into the interview. Hey, Adam, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing very well, Keith. Thanks for having me on today. I'm glad to be here. Really appreciate your time. Yes, man. We're excited about the conversation. Before we dive in, I want to give the the listeners a, a quick little overview of who we're getting to talk to. Adam uh, Feinberg is one of the senior vice presidents over at USI. He is charged with maintaining risk management, cost containment strategies, and developing employee engagement programs for employee benefits, employee benefit clients, excuse me, of USI. So um, he's, he's got a pretty large role at a very large company. But Adam, for those that don't know who USI is, give them a brief little um, synopsis or overview of USI. I'd love to do that. Been with USI for 11 years. We are headquartered out of New York. We're actually titled USI Insurance Services. We've been in business uh, over 20 years, about 8,100 employees, about a $2 billion company, privately held in a financial partnership with shareholders that are employees, as well as the private equity firm, KKR. Excellent. And so Adam, when you say you're an employee benefits consultant, what does that really mean? It's, it's a lot more complex than it sounds. Being an employee benefits consultant, there's no school for it. There's no degree for it. It's something you have to learn on the fly, on the job, if you will. About half of healthcare insurance in this country is purchased through an employer, right? And it's offered by an employer. And so the employer has to put together an employee benefit program, which would include health insurance, dental insurance, vision insurance, life insurance, disability insurance, 401k, flexible spending, healthcare spending cards. And they put that together through the employer and then offer it to the employees as a way to attract and retain employees because the IRS provides tax deductions for offering these benefits. So employers are incented to offer these benefits because they receive a tax deduction and employees sometimes choose employers based on what benefits they're receiving, whether they're uh, highly rich benefits or not rich benefits because it's a form of compensation. And so what I do is I spend time building programs for the most part that are customized to the employer based on their size, their budget, their industry, their needs, and build programs that are right-sized for them and all of those arenas for employers that are ranged from about 50 employees to my largest employer has about 6,000 employees. And so every one of those has a different need. 
And it's our job to right-size those and make sure that the costs are contained, that there's no surprise pieces of risk, and that the employees also know what type of compensation they're receiving in this program, that there's value in it because it is a form of compensation. I got you. And would you say healthcare costs is 50% of that, 75% of that? Where, where does healthcare costs fall in as, the, as a piece of that employee benefit package? If you separate retirement planning and 401k and just focus on healthcare, dental, vision, disability, life insurance, which are the pieces that, that I'm certified, focused on, and my team's engaged on, it's, it's about 80 to 90%, if not more. Okay. Um, the average healthcare cost for an employer for, for an employee family plan, meaning two parents, two kids, cost a, an employer close to $20,000 a year. For an employee, the average, when you average it out, is about $10,000 a year. So it's a large piece of compensation that has to be managed or it escalates really quickly because the average escalation on those costs for the last 20 years has been about 6 to 8% per year for the last 20 years. And that's why we're sitting with such high cost healthcare right now. Yeah. So I, I want to move on, but I, I've never heard that number before. I've seen it from the employee side, right? I've never heard it from the employer side. So you're saying that if I, so company X, right, hires me and I'm married and I have two kids, that I'm costing that company $20,000 of cash on their insurance bill. Is that what I That's essentially correct. So what the employer is doing when they offer you or a new employee insurance, in this case, we'll use you as an example, they are subsidizing your cost significantly. So some employers may pay 70%, 65% of that cost, maybe even as low as 50. Some will pay 80 to 90%. So what you're seeing when you enroll as an employee is you're just seeing the piece that's not subsidized. You have no idea what else the employer is uh, footing the bill for on the backside. And that's one thing we'd like employers to do a better job of, and we ask of them, is that once a year when you're meeting with your HR department or you're online and you're enrolling for your benefits, that there's some triggers and identifiers that remind employees they're spending, you know, in your case, $15,000 a year for you to have health care. You're only paying five. So remember, this is a form of compensation and be excited and grateful about it. Yeah. So, you know, going back to where I was going with that next question, you said six to 8% increase a year. Why are health, like, why is health insurance or healthcare costs so expensive? And why does it feel like it's going up at a rate of inflation that's not comparable to the rest of the, the world? It does. It, well, it feels like it because it is. It's going up at an alarming rate and there's really no, no end in sight until we probably do take some sort of major shift to an uh, entire public healthcare system. But as long as it stays private, these costs are going to continue to go up. And the health insurance world and the healthcare world, which employers are footing the bill for, you got to remember that there's a lot of players on this map, right? It's in a sense, it's like Game of Thrones. You've got hospitals, you have pharmacy manufa pharmaceutical manufacturers. You have urgent care centers on the street corners. You have primary care doctors. You have uh, reinsurance carriers on the backside. And then you have insurance brokers and consulting folks like myself. And then you have major insurance companies like a United Healthcare or a Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas. And they're all fighting 
to you know take a dollar off the top, but ultimately the prices are set by hospitals and drug companies. They are the two that control pricing. Insurance is just a reprice of those expenses. So those companies that are all in that bucket are all for-profit, even though MD Anderson is actually labeled as a not-for-profit hospital system. I think we could all agree that doesn't mean that they don't make money. <laughs> and uh, costs continue to go up because we're living longer. And as we live longer, we take more drugs. We do everything we can to keep our our loved ones alive and healthy. And while we didn't deal with so many cancers 50 years ago, some people would argue that cancer is like a new phenomenon. It's really not. It's more about we're living longer. And now there's new drugs to fight cancer. So to put an example, to go back to your question, what, why are healthcare costs going up? We have this conversation almost daily with our clients. It's large claims, large claims, large claims. So you going to the doctor because you know a child has strep, or somebody has has a sinus infection doesn't impact our insurance cost at all. And actually spending a lot of time, energy, and effort trying to keep those costs down, while it may feel good, it doesn't keep our costs down at all. The reason our uh, healthcare is expensive is because cancer, the top three are cancer, leukemia, and congenital anomalies, which is pre-birth complications. And those three large claim drivers are costing absolute you know, billions and billions of dollars. So like the largest large claim cancer claimant on a health plan that I was associated with last year was over 3 million. I've seen a large claimant in leukemia over 6 million, and I've seen preterm childbirth complications over 4 million. So wow. if you think about that driving up the cost, that those are the things that we have to fight, and they're very, very difficult to fight because we love people. We want to keep them healthy. Right. Huh. I, I, that is very interesting. So you also mentioned when you're talking about this uh, as a form of employee benefits and employers probably needing to be better at reminding their employees in a nice way, right? Hey, you know, maybe just changing the story around employee benefits a little bit. We're on healthcare, telling it more of a, Hey, look what we're doing for you. Not here. Here's your cost um, that, that what you're getting. But how important do you think the employee benefits for this healthcare benefit is? And we're in what we call the great resignation right now. I was watching 60 Minutes the other night. They were talking about the amount of people that quit their job, second half of 2021. So how important is healthcare coverage where this employee benefits package right now for an employer that's having a hard time keeping or recruiting top talent? Yeah, the great resignation is definitely happening. We see jobs reports. You see it on 60 Minutes. We see in our headcount reports on our clients of how many heads are on the insurance plan, and we've seen those shrink, but that shrink has stopped. Employers, at least in our world, the employers have the people they want at their organizations now. They've kind of thinned the herd, if you will, to keep the top talent. The talent pool is smaller. People are more willing to change jobs and move now in the last six to 12 months than I've actually ever seen. And maybe that's because of the disconnectivity and this semi-remote or remote world, depending on what type of job you have. But the talent pool is smaller because of the great resignation. The people that want to work, still low-cost care, access to care. They're now looking for things like uh, caregiver benefits, which is benefits for you to care for your, you know, your elderly, your parents, financial wellness programs. They want more open access to direct 
primary care programs where you can you know, see a primary care doctor on an unlimited amount of times. They want lower cost drugs because drugs are so, so expensive now. I would see, I would say we'll see the shift actually continue to be even more driven at employee benefits being used to retain, attract and retain. As long as that tax deduction is provided by the IRS for employers to offer these programs, you're going to see it be a big part of attracting and retaining top employees because they're getting a better bang for their dollar than they are just handing them the dollar. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's better. So you're saying it's better for the employer and probably maybe for the employee because the employee can't go get negotiate their coverage down as well to have a better benefits package than it is to just give them say $5,000 in additional salary and tell them to go do their benefits on their own. Am I hearing Absolutely. you right? Yeah, and we spent the last few months building a couple of programs here in Houston where, and I, some of your listeners may not all be in Texas, but this is going on nationally, specifically in Houston. We had one employer that said, I want my employees to have 24-7 access to primary care physicians. I want their family members to have it, their kids to have it, their spouses have it. What can we do to overlay 24-7, no cost access for an employee and their family versus having to wait at these doctor's facilities and these urgent care facilities for people they don't know. So now we're building programs where doctors are actually assigned to employers and that's being used as a recruiting and retaining tool. And when you say we're building programs, is that USI or is that the hospitals or who is we in that statement? Great question. USI is, we don't own product or service. We're the conduit to these models that are out there. And there's a lot of these models that are popping up and and different service providers that are getting into that direct primary care space. And we're just out there making sure we find the ones that are most effective uh, from a cost basis and most effective at reducing any type of healthcare problems that are going on with the organization, whether that's diabetes or high blood pressure, chronic back problems, because most groups are large enough where we can start to pinpoint what type of healthcare problems are having. So we're trying to use these primary care programs to attack those problems in a very precise manner. And so like at USI, your job is to negotiate pricing, if correct? And to some regard, well, I guess my, for back of a better way of asking this question, you're not, like you said, you're a conduit, right? So mm-hmm. give me the value proposition of USI. Why does it company X? Why don't I just call Blue Cross Blue Shield Tell them I have 25 employees or 50 employees and negotiate directly with Blue Cross Blue Shield or you directly with United Healthcare, with you name another one. What's the value of calling Adam over at USI up and saying, Hey, Adam, here's what I'm looking to do. Go help me out. Because obviously there's a cost. USI is a for profit business as well, right? So there's an additional Absolutely. cost in there. So for, for a business owner that's you know thinking about doing that, we're going directly. Tell me the difference. It's a great. It's a great question. I don't fault anybody for asking it. And to answer that, I'm first going to explain, if I can, what type of experts I have at my disposal, which tells you how complicated this industry is. So at my disposal here in office with me on, on my floor, I have two attorneys. I have a pharmacy doctor. I have a medical doctor. I have 30 underwriters. I have two communications experts. And then I have dozens of account management staff that focus on communication, problem solving, billing support, and administration. So if you go back to the attorneys, the doctor, medical doctor, and pharmacy doctor, the underwriters, those people are subject matter experts 
to help me navigate a very, very complicated industry. So healthcare, health insurance is extremely, extremely complicated. And none of us, including USI, are not for profit. So the hospitals want to get rid of the insurers, right? Hospitals want to get rid of Blue Cross and United. Insurance, insurers and hospitals want to get rid of us both. I often tell, answer the question that you asked this way, which is why wouldn't I go direct? The only one that ever gets fired when prices go is me. They don't stop buying insurance. They just buy it from somebody <laughs> else. <laughs> if United gives them a high price, they don't stop buying it. They just go to blue. They fire us when prices go up and we don't set the prices. So because of the way that this 800 pound gorilla and this healthcare machine is designed. It is designed to be complex. It is designed to be opaque. It is designed to prevent people from knowing the truth. And so because of our ability to back into what costs are, what costs should be, what readmission cases should be at hospitals and benchmark insurance costs across our book of business around the country, we provide enough value to more than pay for the services that we provide. And so we have a rule in-house that whatever we are charging a client, we should see a two to three X minimum reduction in healthcare spend as a result of hiring USI. If we can't do that, then we're not doing our job. And how do you quantify that? Well, what we'll do is when we evaluate uh, employers insurance plans, we only are as strong as the market out there and the size of the employer. So in a smaller market, we have less horsepower to evaluate and make those investments. So meaning on a smaller employer, less customization, more off the shelf, we use our market leverage and our underwriting to lower the price for an employer. So on the underwriting okay. aspect, if you don't have an underwriter protecting you, you have an insurance carrier, and I'll just pick on you know Aetna, for instance. Aetna is going to rubber stamp an insurance renewal, give it to an employer, and say your rates just went up 12%. If you don't have an underwriter that's looking at your previous loss history, you have no way to argue that 12% is fair. 12% may actually be fair. Your risk could actually be saying you need a 30%, and because of us, we got you a 12. So we just saved you 18%. Sometimes that 12% may be completely unfair. And based on this employer's risk profile, it should have been a minus four. So we're using our medical doctor to look at the claim activity, our pharmacy doctor to look at the drug activity, and our underwriters to reassess the risk unbiased on a financial risk basis and get the insurance carrier to look at the employer one by one and not rubber stamp them on a spreadsheet, which is what they would do without us. Gotcha. So I deal with that a little bit different terms and that we'll ask someone how they did last year and they'll say, oh, we had, we had a good year in the market. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Right. And like, what are you comparing mm -hmm. it to? Like, you, well, we went up 7%. Well, if the market went up 25, did you have a good year? You know, like, absolutely. So what you're doing is you're giving them context around their numbers. So then they can evaluate, like, like you said, it might, it, it's going up, right? We can't stop that going up, but am I getting a fair shake? And a lot of times that's what people want to know at the end of the day, am I getting a fair shake or am I being taken advantage of? And it sounds like we just, I mean, you were, you were, going through all the people behind the scenes, that there's no way for an employer on their own 
to be able to get all the context together to find out if they're getting a fair shake or if they are being the one that's getting the 30% when it's only going up 12 or, you know, or something like that. And so what your team is able to do is say, look, here's all the data points. Here's where we are. They realistically, they could have done X, but they're doing Y. We've got it here. This is fair. Whether it's not fun, but it's fair. Does that make, is that, does that sound? It is. It's spot on. And we had a lot of those discussions this past 24 months as, as COVID really, really impacted claim costs. So we had a couple claim costs come through here and there in our office that were $2 million per claimant. We had one, one employer last year in particular, they had three family members and each one of the family members was about a $2 million hit in claims. So that's $6 million in claims that were being paid out for an employer that was only spending $5 million in insurance. So they were spending $5 million in insurance and had three people cost them $6 million. So they were way over any type of threshold that would keep them in a cost containment mode. We actually went through all the claim detail, did kind of a mini audit, if you will, with our medical doctor, our pharmacy doctor, and our underwriters. And what we determined was there was actually claim reporting error by the carrier as well. So instead of it being uh, about $6 million in paid claims for those three, it should have been four. And when we were able to find that error, it really reduced the risk projection for next year and made sure they, A, were getting a better deal than they should have, and then it, B, made sure we provided our value in, in reducing their future cost. It's like bad credit too, right? Once it goes up, you can't just drop it next year because you had a good 12 months. It may stay where it is, but it's not going to have a significant drop. It kind of sticks with you like bad credit would. All right. Well, for, for the golfers out there, that's like shooting one low round. They got this new handicap index and then it just kills your, kills your golf <laughs> handicap. So, okay, Adam, give me three to five things an employer can do to keep costs down. Yeah. The, the first thing is, is make sure you engage with somebody that has the resources I've talked about. And l- let me repeat them again, because they're critically, critically important. I could not do uh, my job. Key accounts would not be successful at USI without them. So you've got to work with somebody that has medical director, medical doctor, pharmacy doctor, credentialed pharmacy doctor, underwriters, those three, and then attorneys now, right? We've got vaccination stuff coming out of Supreme Court over the next you know, 24, 48, 72 hours right now. So you've got to have somebody that has attorneys, medical doctors, pharmacy doctors, and underwriters. That's step one. It should not be, you can play golf with them, you can hunt with them, but that should not be the number one criteria. The number one criteria should be do they have subject matter experts in-house? The second thing is, do they have volume? Volume does matter, right? If it didn't matter, Amazon wouldn't be doing what Amazon does. Walmart wouldn't be doing what they do. So you don't necessarily need to be with the biggest insurance brokerage consulting firms in the country, but you need to be with some that when they call the insurance carrier, the insurance carrier actually picks up the phone and pays attention to them. They need to have a little bit of uh, bandwidth, if you will. So you got expertise, you got volume, and then you've just got to be willing to try things that other people aren't doing. So most employers that we haven't had the chance to talk to, what we find is they're buying insurance off the shelf and they're doing what everybody else is doing and then complaining that they have the same problems everybody else has. (laughs) So if you want to complain about the problems, the same as everybody else has, that's fine, but you should at least be willing to hear and evaluate what different looks like. And so what different looks like is going through kind of a progression of a fully insured employer, meaning you buy a fully insured product like your car insurance 
off the shelf. It is what it is, and you take it all the way to being self-insured as an employer. So when you're self-insured as an employer, you, the employer, actually uh, fund accounts to pay claims. You shop reinsurance all over the country, if not the world, uh, depending on if you get into captive programs. You build your own networks. You build your own pharmacy programs, which may or may not mean eliminating high-cost drugs or making them a little bit more difficult to get. And you absolutely will put in programs that provide a bit of a social contract. This is more than three or four, but provide a social contract between the employer and the employee. So we talked about at the beginning, if the employer is willing to pony up so much money for you to have health insurance and for your employee, your family to have health insurance, then it isn't that much to ask your employee to say, hey, we want you to go to the doctor once a year. We want you and your family to go to the doctor once a year and get a checkup. Because if we're going to fight cancers, leukemias, you know, chronic uh, renal failure, we need to go to the doctor once a year and just get a checkup and have a good doctor relationship. So expertise, volume, and you got to be willing to try new things, which is that spectrum of moving from fully insured to self-insured and building the designing programs that are completely custom. That, that's great. A quick question to follow up on that one. Do you find that where do employers find that employees are against getting the checkups? Is that a hurdle that's hard to, to get the employees on or over? It, it is. It, really? it is. They don't like it. We, you know, we do it. USI, we've been doing it 10 years. It's time, right? And we, we all value time. It's important to us. But even you know, in my home and my family, I do this for a living. I've been doing it 11 years. We always wait till the last minute uh, to get ours because it's not a friendly request. It's a friendly request with a either a penalty or a reward, depending on the, the wording. So <laughs> for us and our family, if we don't go, we pay 20% more for our insurance premium and money talks. So 20% more is not something we're interested in paying more in our home. So we go. I think yeah. it's the right thing to do, but you get busy, right? You have kids, you have activities and going to the doctor is a roadblock to those things. So that's why direct primary care relationships, like we talked about at the beginning, we have an employer that's tried to make it unlimited access to doctors in their, neighbor in their neighborhoods. And so we do believe, we got the data to prove it, that those that connectivity will reduce large claims. But to answer your question, it isn't Nobody ever says yes, unless they're in either incented or penalized. Money is the great motivator of all. That's for sure. So Adam, how does someone find you? If they have questions after listening to this, or if they're like, hey, we've been going at this on our own, how do they reach out to you? And is, it, is this stuff time sensitive? I mean, I, I know there's what's called like open enrollment and different things like that. So we're at the beginning of the year. Is it, I guess that's two separate questions, but uh, is this time sensitive? I mean, how does that work for, the, for, for a business? Yeah, great, great question. It's not time sensitive. It's never too late or never too early for, for us and our teams to start looking uh, at programs. We, we look at programs that are January 1. We start in February, March, April. We look at programs anytime and all the time. Again, it's never too late and you can change the advisor, right, which is what we do on any of your programs at any time. It's not married to your deductible. Uh, and as far as how you find us or find me and specific, uh, specifically, I am in Houston, Texas. Our team works on clients nationally. We've got clients all over the country here. We manage out of Houston. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, adam.feinberg at usi.com. That's F-I-N-E-B-E-R-G. And you could always call my office at 713-490-4708. 
Excellent. Well, again, Adam, thanks for jumping on here. I think this is valuable information, as you mentioned, with COVID uh, and all this, the different things. I mean, healthcare is, is all over the news. And with the great resignation, employee benefits are becoming a bigger and bigger hook to get top talent. And as you said, keep or retain top talent, which is what you want to do as a business. It's very hard to grow a business if you got turnover. And then it's very hard to recruit when they look at your business and see that people are leaving all the time. It's hard to get people to want to come work at a company like that. So having the right employee benefit package can help alleviate a lot of those issues. So thanks again for your time, Adam. Hope you have a great 2022. Thank you for having me, Keith. Best wishes to you in 2022 as well. Thank you for listening to My Two Cents with Keith Beggs. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All securities discussed are offered and provided through Steadfast Financial Planning, LLC. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Steadfast Wealth Strategies. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor and or qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This podcast is not intended to provide specific investment, financial planning, tax, or legal advice. It is intended for educational purposes only. Please consult your tax advisor, financial advisor, or legal professional for specific advice on your specific situation.